0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, product owners all over this great, big, crazy, 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 crazy world, including the people in Zurich, Switzerland. Welcome back to Deliver. This is your Agile Product Owners podcast. My name is Corey Bryan and welcome to a coronavirus free edition of Deliver It. Uh, Wow. I hope everybody's making it. I hope everybody's staying safe uh, as much as you can. Uh, geez, the craziness going on all over the place. So I hope you're staying safe. Hope you're staying indoors. Uh, Hope you're going back and listening to some content because uh, content's all you got right now. (laughs) Uh, Watching some old movies, some old shows, working from home. Uh, And really, that's one of the things I wanted to share in my first news article today was uh, everybody's working from home or a lot of people working from home have that opportunity, haven't done it before. Uh, There's some great resources out there that I want to share with folks um, to let them uh, see what is available. Um, The first article that I want to share is from Ben Leonard, um, who has a website called omgwfh.com. Oh, my God, I'm working from home. Um, He's got a lot of great links, a lot of great content, a lot of great articles and information. Two things if this is your first opportunity or your first chance of working from home, working remote. Uh, He's got a great link to Jason Fried's book, Remote, um, which is still on my list, but I know everybody raves about that book. Um, He talks a lot about little tips and tricks that you can do. Um, tools that you can use. I've mentioned Miro before, uh, Zoom, online tools, talks about your camera. One of the keys is making things transparent. You know, In an agile context, we're usually dealing with transparency um, as a positive thing. Um, so just be more transparent, communicate more um, in these things. If you've got Slack or Teams or something else, um, there's always ways that you can communicate and keep up with people. Um, that notion of making video chats the norm, that's how you communicate is video chats. If you are if you need to talk to somebody, jump on a video call with them. Let them see you. You want to see them. Um, you know, having open channels. Um, there's a really cool one called Remo.co, R-E-M-O.co, that looks like virtual rooms. Um, that's really cool where you can have water cooler or coffee talk conversations. I think I mentioned before one of my favorite meetings that I've had It was termed a stand-up, but we basically turned it into coffee talk on videos. Uh, People all over the country, people all over the world, we were able to just hang out on video, and that was really cool. Um, So... He's got some great links. Um, There's lots of other uh, things that have been popping up, um, so I'll try to put together a few more of them. Um, And if I need to do an update to episode 20, which we talked about remote ownership in that, um, I can definitely do that since that was a while ago, and definitely some things have changed since then. So if enough folks are interested, do let me know, um, and I'll try to do another episode next week on remote product ownership or remote teams. Uh, working while you're remote as a product owner. Uh, the one tip that I would give, the one thing that I think is more important than any other uh, piece of advice that I could give is keep your routine. Your routine is going to be different um, how you do that routine, but keep a routine. I see so many people that have, uh, are used, not used to working from home that don't want to turn on their camera because they didn't uh, put on a shirt or they didn't put on, you know, they're in pajamas and they didn't do their hair or they didn't do keep your routine. Get up when you get up, take your shower, get dressed like you're going in the office, go sit down, work. Uh, There's lots of things that are going to change, but if you don't keep your routine, if you don't keep your lunch hour, if you don't keep, you know, going home at a certain time, uh, logging off and being done with work for the day, then you're going to have all kinds of other problems. So there's lots of other things that will change, but please, 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 Keep your routine, keep some semblance of routine in your life while you're working from home. And I saw a really good uh, video from Dave Washka uh, on the Mind and Product website uh, from the Manchester called Look to the Left. And he goes through a really interesting presentation, a really engaging presentation about mapping customer or user problems by looking to the left. So you look at the things that they're doing. He does it in very simple terms. Um, The simplicity of describing those needs and those problems that he has for really big concepts too is I really like that idea, but he lays it out pretty easily or pretty clearly about what the customer problems are. And then he teaches you to look to the left. What caused them to have that problem that they're now coming to you for? Can you move into that space? Can you help them when they're thinking about, how do I solve this problem? He talks about travel. He talks about airlines, talks about cards. He talks about lots of different ways where customers have problems and the ways that you, as the product person, can look to the left and kind of see where you can help them ahead of that. And on top of that, he had some really, he showed off some really cool product ideas, some wireframes, some sketches, some other things that they have done um, that he's done in his uh, product career and to why the people would use your product at all. Um, There's lots of different opportunities, lots of different things, uh, lots of different products that people could use. Why would they use your product? So I really like that from Dave.
1: No doubt that this magnificent vessel will give excellent value for the dollars she'll be earning.
0: Both of my guests today are former developers, Scrum Masters, and coaches across many different industries. They currently are with Scrum.org as trainers, and they use what they have learned and seen at far too many companies to co-author the new book, Fixing Your Scrum, Practical Solutions to Common Scrum Problems. It's Ryan Ripley and Todd Miller. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey. How's it going? Good. Thank you. And thank you for taking time out of every other podcaster who's interviewing (laughs) you to come and talk... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to talk about uh, the the parts of your book that deal with product ownership. Again, there's lots of, you guys are doing lots of great uh, interviews and lots of great content out there. Um, I wanted to focus on the product owner role as I do on this show. Um, and there's lots of great information, I think, in your book for product owners.
1: Very cool. No, thanks for having us. It's uh, Deliver It Cast is one of our favorites. And uh, so when we saw, yes, you're right. We've probably been on 12 or 13 shows in the last month or two, but now, when this one popped out, we were super happy to join in. And I uh, can't wait to see where this, this product owner-centric discussion goes.
0: Okay. So uh, one thing that I noticed from the book, and I think it's something that people need to understand, is this book seems to be written from a Scrum Master's point of view. Um, it seems to be these are how the, the the people that are reading this book are intended to be Scrum Masters. Product owners obviously can read the book. Uh, but it seems like that's the kind of uh, angle you're taking with this. Is that, am I right in that or wrong?
1: Yeah, I, I think fixing your Scrum, you know, when we wrote this, you know, the subtitle kind of it's practical solutions to common scrum problems and so when you think about which account which role is accountable for ensuring that scrum is well understood and enacted i mean that's the scrum master and so we are you know we are writing this primarily with a scrum master in mind but but what we're finding is we've we've gotten feedback from product owners from dev team members from managers from leaders from executives They've all said, look, yeah, we get it. It's a Scrum Master book. But when we cracked open the chapter to Daily Scrum, we saw so many of our problems glaring right back at us. Yeah. And so we were able to make sense of what was going on. We were able, able to partner with our Scrum Masters better. And so what we're seeing is, even though, yes, it's, it's very Scrum Master centric, we wrote it, you know, Todd and I are laser focused on getting Scrum Masters to actually perform their role. Um, what we're finding though, is that all of the other people interacting and working with uh, Scrum teams are finding some value in it. Uh, because the problems exist whether you're a scrum master, a product owner, a dev team member, or an executive, and it's helping them make sense of it. And so you know hopefully even product owners out there can read this book and realize, hey, this is how a sprint review should happen. Or wow, this is actually mm-hmm. part of my role. and oh, wait a minute, now this is why the Scrum master is nudging me in this direction or or wow, I'm supposed to have this great relationship with the dev team. And so hopefully, uh, even the product owners out there would find um, some nuggets of wisdom in here that could, could help them make better sense of how their organization is using Scrum uh, to deliver product.
2: Yeah, and you know, it's interesting that um, that you bring the the fact that we targeted this at Scrum Masters, because that wasn't initially the case. We were targeting it towards a broad audience, but Brian and I, in, in a lot of side conversations, and as the content of the book emerged, realized that very much similar to what product owners you know we see product owners all the time that are, are that are not operating in a product owner type mm-hmm. role right they're not empowered right. to make those decisions well we notice the same thing with scrum masters and a lot of scrum masters that we had uh, that we've spoken to uh, just feel like like they can't get back up off the canvas yeah. right they feel like they've tried so hard to create organizational change but then they just kind of settle back in down to what the expectations of an organization are are of them, and that's as a team manager. And that's not what a Scrum Master is meant to be. And so, if we're struggling with these things, you know, this is shows about product owners, then how, how does the product owner role be taken into an organization the way it was intended to be? And who, who, who has that conversation? Who creates that sense of urgency to change the way that we view that role in the organization? And uh, we believe it's the Scrum Masters.
0: Uh, two other things that I really liked about the book that, that were very specific. One of them was how much you focused on the values of Scrum, not the practice. Uh, everything that uh, was in this book, every problem that you see, you brought it back to one of the values. And I think that's a very underrated um, tactic or something you don't see a lot of people do is bringing it back to the values, talk about the values and not the practices. Uh, but the other thing is you held to that scrum guide, if these are PBIs, they're not stories, they're not tasks, they're not anything else other than PBIs. I love that. The grounding in the guide, I guess.
1: so. Todd really has this great, He I'll let him do the Kent Beck quote, but I mean, the values are just so important to us and every team leaves them out and uh, or I shouldn't say every team, majority of teams leave them out um, they just, it, it, it's amazing how quickly uh, Scrum is turned into a mechanical framework or this mechanical yeah. process, you know, step one to a thousand to product delivery nirvana, or how we just end up with these feature factories or these backlog lumberjacks where are just mechanically working through their mm-hmm. stuff. And that's just, it, it's, oh, it's, just so, it's so much waste comes out of that mentality. But when you bring values to the forefront, that changes behavior. And I'll tell you what, behavior creates culture. And a culture, if a culture is really the worst behavior that you're willing to tolerate in an organization, that means the values are essential. We need people behaving at a super high level. We need the values in influencing every action and direction that we take so that we're able to keep that bar high on culture. Because if our culture is high, that means we have purpose. We have, And if we have purpose, we have focus. And we have focus, we have the potential to use Scrum as a framework to help deliver products opportunistically. But when those values break down... Now we're just delivering for the sake of delivery that's not aligned to a market, yeah. a need, or a customer, and we may or may not be right. Yeah,
2: yeah and to, to one of my favorite quotes surrounding values does come from Kent Beck, and it's an Extreme Programming Explained, which is, a, which is an awesome book. And uh, he says in there, without values, practices become rote meaning you're doing them just for the sake of doing them. Mm-hmm. And so when Ryan says mechanical, or our friends over in the Netherlands, the Liberators say zombie scrum, mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're referring to. It's, uh, it's the doing scrum for the sake of doing scrum without a common set of values. It's very mechanical.
0: And there's some other really good key takeaways I got from the book, um, things I loved because they just resonated with me so much is, uh, you know, if you're dealing with teams or you're dealing with an organization that doesn't trust your team, what's the one thing you can do to turn that around? Deliver, <laughs> deliver an increment of product. Deliver working software. Do that frequently. Start to build that trust. I love that.
2: I'm glad you picked up on that. So, um, because there there was a great debate happening, um, actually at a uh, face to face that Ryan and I attended about. How, um, that's something that us uh, Scrum Network trainers do um, annually, and uh, it was about how there there's no one way to build trust, and uh, when you're when you're using Scrum and. We kind of emphatically disagreed with that because if you deliver, you deliver something of high quality and something that your customers are using. What a great way to build trust, right? Think about all the all the product development efforts you've ever seen. When you deliver and you deliver frequently and you do it quickly, and it's of high quality, you get trust like almost instantaneously. It doesn't mean you keep it.
1: Back I, I wish product owners really understood trust a little better, right? Trust is such a wildly confusing thing, but I, I think we can simplify it. You know, trust, I think first and foremost, realizing that trust is on a spectrum. Yes. Right? Yes. Trust is not just a, a black and white one or zero kind of thing. It's, it's a spectrum. So take it to relationships. Maybe that's more relatable. So my wife and I, my wife trusts me with her deepest deepest fears, desires, dreams, ambitions. Um, super secret, super private stuff, right? She does not trust me with laundry at all. Uh, <laughs> and she shouldn't because I'm horrible at it. I need to I need to get better at that. But, but you know what? I wrecked a sweater when we were dating. Lesson learned. Um, still hear about it 17 years later, of right? But, but it's a spectrum. And well, it was a great sweater too. I don't blame her. <laughs> uh, but I mean... It's a spectrum, right? So there's different things that we trust each other with, different varying levels, but it's also very transactional. So it takes a lot to build up in the trust bank. And it's one little interaction at a time that builds up over. It's like compounding interest, but much slower. And unfortunately, it takes one bad event to totally wipe out the account. Yeah, The distance between zero and one in certain contexts is enough to clean out the bank. And, and it just you know one instance of something happening means you're back to zero or even you go negative, negative. and so we guard that as a scrum master. We we're watching tr- uh, trust constantly, and we're partnering with this product owner, saying, "Hey, we know you're trying to slam this sprint full, but if we go into another sprint review where we have not delivered an increment, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. Right? What is the what is it the essence of value? Like we're constantly coaching them on." What's achievable? Like, and we're, we're also pushing back on the dev teams. like Todd and I are so hard on dev teams. It's like, you, know, what are you guys and gals thinking? There's no way this forecast is deliverable. And we might pose that, not to direct them, but to challenge them, just to make sure they understand that when, when they're working with that product owner, they're serving that product owner. They need to make sure that you know what we're, the goal that we're trying to hit is achievable. The things that we're forecasting to do are reasonable. If we violate that trust with the the product owner and the stakeholders, things just fall apart.
0: And it's a very clear. I mean, I love the the, the statement that you have in there that Scrum does two things for your organization: it empowers the team to deliver those products each sprint, and it shows you why you can't do that right now. Yeah. <laughs> and those are the things you're mm-hmm. supposed to fix, yeah. not whip the horse faster.
1: It's amazing where, I, I, I hope we, and I love these pieces that you're, put, you're pulling out, man, because these are things that we were worried would get lost. And so it's really cool that you know, a product-minded person is, is reaching in and, and pulling these out. But it also shows that a product owner is also um, financially vested in technical excellence and removing impediments. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, that, Absolutely. so that's a big point that we never talk about in the Scrum world product owners, you have a financial interest in technical excellence and removing impediments. Because if we can't do those two things, we eventually will come to a grinding halt on delivery. Scrum Mm -hmm. will show us how all of those things have hurt us, and now you get to go to a sprint review, empty-handed to stakeholders. So why not up front? Just, Just make it part of your role to be a great partner with the dev team to make sure that all these things are transparent, they're well understood, they're visible on a product backlog so that we can actually tackle them in an appropriate way so that they're not surprising us uh, down the road
2: yeah and th- there's there's nothing that was ever written that says that scrum makes your development team members type faster <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah. so uh, i I think we just need to g- get over that idea that it's all about maximizing resource utilization mm-hmm. uh, that it's all about trying to get everybody as busy as possible because that's not that's not the idea behind it. The idea behind it is um, every sprint. You have a done, potentially shippable, very valuable increment that um, can be put out into the world. Right? Doesn't mean you have to put it out into the world, but it can be potentially, right? Potentially, yes.
0: Um, and I love the way that you guys start off defining the role. I mean, the role is already defined in the guide, and that's where you know the source of our power comes from. Yeah. Uh, but really, going into you know the internal and the market. Um, I, you know, looking at both of them to maximize value, Um, to look at the strategic and the tactical. There's so many people who think it's just one or the other. Um, And the empowered word comes up again because there are so many, in a lot of these instances, I think of the problems that you identify in the book where the product owner isn't
2: empowered. Yeah, I I think that's something that we commonly see, uh, right? Uh, That you have a, a product owner in name only. Uh, they don't own a budget. They're not responsible for return on investment. Um, other people are doing the market analysis and interactions with the customers, right? They, they basically just become an opinion aggregator and uh, listen to the highest paid person's uh, opinion for what is going to happen next. They're not that yeah. influential, um, entrepreneurial type spirit that is looking at hypothesis for what a customer is going to want, and develop small experiments based off of that. That's what that's what we that's what a product owner should be. And there's so many different aspects of how that unfolds, and it really is based on the context of the product that you're building. I, I feel like again, a, a, a scrum masters need to bring this information to the organization and talk to them about how important it is to have this.
1: I, I think what this is doing it's making it super clear that the the interrelationships between the three roles i mean we can try to say this is a book for scrum masters and we did write it that way but isn't it amazing how a product owner can read this and get insights how a dev team could get insights and and how they can really see this is an ecosystem this is a a collaborative relationship between all three this is not a well here's your lane here's your lane and here's your lane it's we've we're in this together you know commitment especially as a scrum value it's look, we're bringing our best selves forward. We're bringing our, ourselves, we're showing up in a way that we serve one another. We're committed to um, our levels of service, not just scope or never scope. It's, it's, we're committed to our service. We're committed to one another. We're committed to trying to build the best product possible given our time constraints and resources and being good financial stewards of, of funding. And when you see all these things play out with the values intact, it's not adversarial anymore. Like, how often is the relationship between a product owner and a dev team negative? Like, here's—I already told you what to do. Why are you asking me questions? You know, you hear those that mm-hmm. kind of language, or from the dev team, it's mm-hmm. no, you—you just don't get it. The technology's changed, and this isn't feasible. And and you hear all this bizarre interaction that should never happen with a service-minded, value-driven organization. And and hopefully, you know, as we talk through like the, these more positive uh, modes people start to realize, wait a minute, these scrum values are important these behaviors are are essential to building the relationships we need to actually be able to deliver.
0: Yeah. And you guys go into so many, I didn't count how many problems you actually solve for folks if they just count them up and and go through them, but there's a bunch of them in there. A lot of them, product owner focused or product owner involved things like uh, having a part time product owner or too many backlogs. I love the way that you guys phrase that, the absent product owner. I see the proxy product owner problem more often than not. Is that something you guys see a lot or is there some other issue you see?
2: I think that I think you hit the nail on the head there. That's absolutely the number one thing that we see: the proxy product owner and uh, Ryan and I I, uh, wrote in the book that the best way to figure out who the real product owner is is to trace the money, right? Love that. Um, And from there, then you can start to have a conversation to say, uh, "So, do can you relinquish this control? Because, and we'll bring that proxy up to speed and make them the product Mm -hmm. owner." Because the one percent of time that you can give to this product development effort is absolutely not enough. Right. Um so I, I would say a, a pro- proxy product owner is for, for me the number one that I see.
1: Oh, I, I totally agree. Like we we talk about pretty regularly that follow the money, trace it back to the VP who's holding on to budget. You know, if I'm in a scrum master role, I'm I'm walking with my product owner to their office every day and saying, all right, here's what's going on today. Or encouraging the product owner to tell this person what's going on today. What do we need budget wise? What are what's the directions we're considering? After three, four, five days, this VP will usually say, "Look, I don't. It's great you're coming. Like I love I love the conversation, but I do not have time to support this level of interaction with you." And I, I'll usually turn and say, "Look, I think you're right. We know you're busy. What can we do to increase my product owner's authority so that we don't have to come back?" Uh, every day, maybe it becomes every two weeks, and then they usually say, "What would it take to make it monthly?" And then the product owner mm-hmm. has the opportunity to shoot at. Well, if I can make decisions that are less than ten thousand dollars, anything higher, I'll come talk to you. And suddenly, you've just gotten your product owner promoted a little bit, right? It, we didn't. We're not perfect. We're not. We're not to that. We're not to that entrepreneurial, you know, product owner making all decisions. But you know what? We got incrementally better. You know, as a scrum master, I helped. You know, yeah. You know, elevate that person. I'm fulfilling my role. The product owner has new responsibilities, but now we get to go back and pull the dev team into a conversation and say, hey, we just got some more authority. What are we going to do to increase the odds that we deliver something of value this next sprint to prove that that trust made sense, to prove that we've earned uh, that kind of trust within the organization? So it all comes back full circle to the whole team. Um, But I think that that kind of You know, a scrum master, a professional scrum master is constantly looking for ways uh, to elevate their
0: product owner. Something else that I, I, you guys have changed my language a little bit. So thank you for doing this. But one of the things that I've, and I've heard, Ryan, you give this in different talks before, but one of the words that I'm starting to use more and more is forecast. I'm starting to use that in place of commitment, velocity, you know, any of these other words that would mean basically the same thing because I think it's a much more powerful word. Um, and you guys talk about it in terms of uh, not having frustrated stakeholders about emphasizing the lack of certainty that we have. This is what we think is going to happen. This is our forecast. I love that concept and that word.
1: Well, I mean, look at today, right? Yeah. All we have are forecasts. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I don't want to plumb anybody out, but this is being recorded on, uh, on March 16th, 2020. And right now we have no idea what's going on in the world. Like we have forecasts, we have models, we have predictions, but are, what's going to happen in March or the rest of March? How What is April going to look like? Are Todd and I back traveling the planet to teach by May or June? We don't know. Yeah. I, all we have right now are forecasts and patterns. We're trying to make sense out of the chaos and complexity. And I mean, Scrum is a great framework for this. And, and so we're trying to uh, apply empiricism uh, throughout as we go as well. And I mean, we just we have to get comfortable with this. Like life is a forecast and product development is a forecast. Yeah. And anyone who tries to give you a guarantee about complex work, they're they're either selling you something or they want you to sign up for a transformation. And either way, don't do it.
2: It's a struggle to cope with complexity. I think as a human being, we so much crave certainty in everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Right we really do we, we crave certainty to know exactly how long it's going to take us to drive home from work on a Friday. Oh yeah, or exactly how long it's going to take us to get through airport security when we're running late to a for a flight. Uh, it's just part of who we are when when developing products and specifically in a software development profession we need to we need to come to terms with that complexity. You know, Scrum. Scrum has been such an awesome framework to create some boundaries around that, right? We have this thing—a sprint, right—four weeks or less. We have the opportunity uh, to inspect, adapt, and be transparent in this boundary that's four weeks or less. Uh, we find in a lot of organizations that um, that crave for certainty just runs so rampant that it becomes almost impossible to change. So we're stuck with a model where. Uh, predictability uh, is is something that we talk about a lot that instead of forecast we're, we're looking for something that's extremely predictable mm-hmm. right so just something as small as changing language subtly from we predict to we forecast uh, really starts to set up the fact that we're working in a different way right subtle language changes like that forecast yeah. um, or or um, ordered rather than prioritized. Absolutely. Yeah, I
0: was getting ready to chime in on that because that's something that I've, I, I know the difference between the two of them. And I usually talk about ordering a ranking other than priorities because you can have all the priorities you want, but something's first, something's second. Turning that back into ordering and how do you order your backlog or how do you order the things that you need to do, the the, the work there, the, the stakeholders, what are their priorities, what are their needs, what are your customers' needs, what are your customers' Um, Problems or your team's needs and team's problems, all those things have to be ordered together. So I like how you guys talk about that as a tactic and that as, you know, it's one blackout, right? It's one place where that work is and you order it and then you work from it that way.
2: So having been a product owner before, um, twice on pretty, I I count twice, right? Although a third I think is probably okay. (laughs) Ordering is oftentimes the hardest thing, right? It's the hardest thing. And because you're hearing so much from, you know, the other, the scrum teams, stakeholders, you're out doing market analysis, and uh, that can be the biggest challenge. And I don't know that there is one exact way that's going to tell you what the future holds and what your order absolutely should be. Uh, everything on a product backlog is a is a hypothesis until it gets into production, and then you can validate whether that was valuable or not. Yeah. So uh, sometimes, uh, no matter what mechanism you're using with trying to order, uh, you have to go with your gut because there's no one surefire way to tell you that one thing is more valuable than another. You can just validate it, and uh, once it's in production, and change your assumptions from there. Yeah.
0: Very cool, uh, and Ryan, I I liked the um, the backlog definition that you have, or the 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 problem where you have multiple backlogs, and you you call it the backlog of broken promises and crushed dreams, where every story we promised to deliver but didn't went to die. <laughs> actually, I think that was Todd's. Was that Todd's?
1: I love that. Yeah, that was actually one <laughs> of Todd he like texted me that he sent me, he sends this text. Like, Ryan, I got a a cool idea for a backlog, and he sends it to me. I'm (laughs) like, put it in the book. That's perfect. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That's always something where when you're dealing with, I, I'm dealing this, you know, quite frequently these days is, you know, looking at list of backlogs and things are, you know, a year older and they haven't moved in a year. And I'm like, okay, these things are just dead. They're just, we're just going to delete them. Said, no, 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 you can't delete them. Nobody's going to do this. Uh, I, I've stolen that line from you, Ryan. Uh, nobody's going to do this. Uh, let's just get rid of it. Let's let's focus on the things that are the most important. But I, yeah. I like tagging that with name, if I could, I'm going to put that name Perfect.
1: on it. I, you know, I, I think I mentioned this in the book, but I do part of a keynote that I do, you know, I'll, I'll go to these scrum conferences and say, all right, who has a product backlog? And all these hands go up and, you know, and then I'm like, all right, leave your hands up if you have a product backlog item in your product backlog that's older than three months and everyone laughs and they leave their hand up. All right, six months, a year, you know, and on and on and on until all the hands go down and the record's nine years. I just thought, what is living in a product backlog for nine years? It turns out it was a mainframe change at a bank, right? One of the financial yeah. companies, and, and this. But this person, for a few minutes, was convinced. No, right. I'm going to do this change. It has to happen. It must be done. And like, sir, there's no way this change is happening. He's like, but we must. And I'm, sir, it's been nine years, and you're fine. And that yeah. it gave him pause. <laughs> and he's like, oh, he's like, huh? Yeah, I guess we are fine. And yeah, delete it. And so when I know when Todd and I go in and we start working with places, it's like, man, if you've got stuff that's six months or older, why is it there? You know, if every sprint yeah. review is be- is conducted well, you're getting feedback about your product, you're getting new ideas coming in, your product backlog continually changes and evolves. You know, what do you think you're going to do with a PBI that's one year old that's low on
0: your list, yeah. right? If this thing that's on the list was important, why haven't we done it And <laughs> Any amount of time, pick a length of time. And if it's truly important, yeah.
1: right? And we delete it, guess what will happen? It'll we'll come back. Absolutely. Yeah. Through Absolutely. validated feedback from a customer, which is so valuable, right? So then it, th- all right, we, we thought this was a cool idea. We deleted it. Two sprints later, a customer came back and said, red alert, we got to have this. What a great way to validate that. Build it in your next sprint.
2: You know, I've seen it. It's, what, what happens too is this, it, Humongous product backlog. Then I saw a product backlog once with for, over forty five hundred items in it. <laughs> forty five hundred <laughs> items. So I was working with this product owner, and I said, "I, you know what, your best bet is here." And she, she was like, "What?" And I was like, "Control A, delete." Mm-hmm. <laughs> because out of the forty five hundred items that you have on here, probably ninety nine percent of them, you're yep. you're never gonna do. Yep. Right, yep. And how can you find anything? How can you make your product backlog transparent? How can you share what you're intending on doing if you're 4,500 items yep. on your product backlog?
0: Yeah, I've, I've mentioned the Dunbar number before in terms of backlog, but I never want my backlog to be more than 150 things. I don't care what it is. Just to have some way to say, oh, I know that's in the backlog. If there's 4,200, I have no idea what the hell's in it. <laughs> no,
1: they They didn't either. You know what, though? Writing a book has given me empathy for this. Um, they say it's difficult to kill your darlings. And what I mean is, when you think an idea is clever, mm-hmm. and, but then you got to get rid of it. And, you know, we, Todd and I had a great uh, editor, Dawn Shannonfelt. She is amazing. Uh, she made us sound far more intelligent than we could ever possibly deserve. Um, she did a brilliant job, but there were times where we would you know, high five and be like, that's the coolest paragraph ever. What a great way to say something. And she'd be like, guys, cut it. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't fit. Um, it's not within the tone of the book. It doesn't... I mean, and sh- and she was right. But we would both sit there and, and grumble a little bit like, oh man, we thought this was brilliant. And and you just it's so hard to kill your good ideas. And that's you know, two years of writing this book with a professional editing team. Like this book went through mm-hmm. four or five different levels of editing and everyone coming back with their opinion. And, and we're just like, all right, we thought this was clever, but it doesn't fit maybe it'll be a blog post later maybe it'll be something different but and then you start thinking about what a what a product owner is going through like this they thought this feature would be amazing but the evidence is contrary to that and sometimes it's hard to let go of that that idea that thing that you thought you needed to do and so i a lot of empathy for it but a professional product owner We'll look, at, we'll look at data, they'll look at facts, they'll look at reality, they'll look at feedback from from customers and say, you know what? I thought this was cool. It's not. It's time to move on.
0: Um, and one area I think you focused a lot on, or at least I took a lot away from, um, and it's a bias because my favorite uh, uh, ceremony in Scrum is the sprint review. I think that's where the rubber meets, meets the road. I think that's where we get a lot of information and a lot of um uh, good, and we start to build that trust when we can start showing product that the team has been built. But I love the way you guys talk about the things that a product owner does in the sprint review. The main thing, I think, is being the, the facilitator um, and engage uh, in the collaborative way that involves all the people that are in the, um, the sprint review.
2: Uh, another thing we see quite a bit is that the sprint review is just a demo. Right, mm. and think about the lost opportunity there for a product owner. If the sprint review, if your development teams are just walking in and they're showing working software, and then everybody leaves, uh, you you might get a little bit of a benefit out of it. But what if people don't know where you're going? What if people don't know what's changed in your market or with your customers or what problems you might be facing as a product owner? Right? W- what if they what if they don't know that? I think that so oftentimes as a product owner. You have the assumption that they know because you talk to your stakeholders. But the sprint review is an awesome time just to bring in your product backlog, talk a little bit about what the future holds, talk about what ha- what's happening, um, hopefully with in production, what your customers are using, what they aren't, uh, and take that time to really give an inspection point for where your point of view is as far as value. Um, so oftentimes we don't we don't see that. We just see it the sprint review treated as a demo?
1: You know, the sprint review is interesting. We get in a lot of trouble uh, when a scrum master decides that they're going to facilitate this thing. They're going to run it. They're going to own it. And I think that's where we see a lot of the worst practices in a in a, in a a sprint review come out. I love it when a product owner and a dev team take over. I love it when they have this collaborative conversation with stakeholders. We might show some working software. We might show some working product. But the the power of the sprint review, as Todd was talking about, is in the we're closing the feedback loop. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The whole purpose of Scrum is to get to done. So we cannot close off the feedback loop and get that needed information from customers until we get to a done increment. And that done increment is inspected in the sprint review. The purpose is not to show stuff. Like don't show up at the PowerPoint and say, well, here's what we intended." All that stuff is secondary to how is our product doing in the market? What do our budgets look like? What are some market shifts that are happening? Todd and I are facing this right now. We are traditionally in-person trainers. We travel to a company site or we hold public classes. That's not working Mm -hmm. right now. Something in the market has shifted. Right? We're not able to do that. So what do we do instead? And so now we are we are reviewing. Right? This would be a a great sprint review topic. It's the market has shifted out from under us. We now have uh, a different set of opportunities available to us. What do we need to do next in order to stay relevant? Actually, in this case, what do we need to do next just to hunker down and, and keep our families safe? But in the future, does this change the way we work? Has the market shifted permanently? These are things that everyone's going to be evaluating. What great topics for a sprint review? You know, not, mm. you know, here's the three PBIs we did and here's the underlying database. And you start going down that path and it's, you know, five people find that interesting, people stop showing up. Um, but when you're really talking about, here's our, our, our financial situation as it sits today, Here's the impact through evidence-based management that we're having on the world. Right. Um, here's where the market, is, we believe it's going. And here's how we are going to use Scrum to capitalize
0: on every opportunity that we see right now. That is an amazing event. And I've, it's one of the things that I, if I see it, if I see the teams, you know, if I'm joining a team or I'm, I'm coaching with a team or advising a team and I see their sprint review, one of the first things I'll do is ban PowerPoint. You can have one, but it better have the sprint goal on it and nothing else. Um, that's the only thing you can show and then the rest of the stuff software all the all day every day um, and so you talk a lot about the sprint review you talk about a lot about uh, the product owner specific things but there's so many other things in this book uh, so many other problems and again these are scrum master problems that they can help with team-based problems organization problems there's lots of things that you guys go into in other areas that are I I find useful. Um, And one of the things that you talk about, uh, Ryan, or that's in the book is when you talk about done increments, um, it hits on one of my keys that I've been talking about a lot lately, which is uh, done means something is usable. Um, You can give it to somebody and they can do something with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, done is, is usable. Done is uh, of high quality. Um, Done is potentially releasable. Done a done piece of product or software does no harm, right? And so if it's not usable, it can't be released. And I think that's this puts the bar pretty high. Oh, yeah. I think this is why it stands out to people, right? So, what do you mean by usable? You would, so when, when I think about you know my time in medical device, right? So, I, I haven't always just worked on software. So, I worked in medical device for a number of years, I, I worked with teams. On, a, on clinical trials. I worked with teams on uh, the compliance and regulatory considerations behind a, a hip or knee implant. I worked with teams trying to decide metals to use in these implants, all using Scrum, right? And so, to us, done meant we would tell our grandparent or a loved one that this product, that you should put this product in your body. Hmm. That's a high bar, yeah. right? We really tried to set, you know, it, it, it's so easy to 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 mince words and to play games with with definitions of done. But when you decide like done for this hip implant means that my when my or if my 80-year-old grandmother were to fall and break her hip, I would say, this is the product that I believe in. This is the product I want to see you use. And if we didn't feel that way, that's not usable. That's not done. That's not of high quality. That's still important. To not, don't get. I don't want people walking away going, we don't have to do definition of done anymore. We just, got, we just got to make sure grandma's okay. That's not what I'm saying. I think the definition of done is wildly important. It's where Todd and I often start with teams, but there's that higher level of that bar setting, like usable means a loved one. I would, I would have a loved one use this product. I would, have, uh, I would stake my own business on it. I would have skin in the game with this. I, I think we can elevate things uh, with that kind of thinking.
2: Yeah. And not cutting corners. Yeah. Yep. Right. Uh, so, so oftentimes people are cutting corners and I think it circles back to something we were discussing earlier is this notion that everybody needs to maximize resource utilization. So a sprint starts and everybody goes in and in, in their own direction. And then the last day or two of the sprint, everybody tries to put their work together and figure out what happened. And there's a whole bunch of undone yep. stuff under there, right? You've, well, we 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 just won't write unit test this one time, mm-hmm. right? Um, we we'll just we'll clean this method up that has seven thousand lines of code in it uh, sometime later, right? Um, so I I think that done requires that you don't cut corners, and why not take less in and get it done rather than bringing a whole bunch of stuff and disparate work into our sprint. And only getting it seventy percent baked, but giving the illusion that it's
0: done. Right. Yeah, yeah. I I frequently, and I'm sure people are tired of hearing about it at a certain point, but I always tell folks I'd rather have five things done than ten things halfway done. Um, I want something that we can release. I want something that, that somebody can use. I want some feedback on something. I don't want to just say, oh, we're fifty percent through our project. Both of those things could be true if you have five things done or ten things halfway done. But I I <laughs> I value five things being complete
1: first. Yep. Yeah,
0: I think that's great. Yeah.
1: It's the games we play and the corners we cut mm-hmm. and the compromises in values that it just, it's a downward spiral, which is why we expect scrum masters and product owners to uphold scrum. And we, well, we expect the scrum master to uphold scrum. We expect the product owner to uphold value. And guess what? Validity, or I'm sorry, quality is a key component of value. I said validity. Maybe that's a new word, value and quality. Um, Why not? I like it. But I, I think part of upholding value is saying we are going to have a high quality product that we understand the impacts uh, that it's going to have on the world. And if we don't have a definition of done, if, we, if we've allowed corners to be cut, if we've decided to entertain this slippery slope, we cannot meet that very important standard of vality. <laughs>
2: This this conversation reminds me of the old six box, you know, project management, red, green, yellow stuff. Oh yeah. Right. So every and if you remember anybody that's been a developer or product owner, or scrum master, been around that type of environment, how many times you've worked on a project or product development effort that was green, 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 yellow, red.
0: Mm-hmm. We call okay. that
2: uh, it's yellow when you realize how much undone <laughs> work there is. And then it turns red when everybody yeah. starts panicking. We, we right? call
1: that 50 shades of green.
0: Or the uh, watermelon project.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. And it happens too much. And I, I don't remember. I think this made it in the book. Um, it did. The next time you have, uh, you have the red, amber, yep. uh, green, start red. Yep. Haven't delivered anything. So, I love it. Just a slight nudge. Yeah. So you don't have to adopt any of the Scrum framework. Don't change anything at all. Um, Just go to your PMO and and say, look, for this next project, we're starting red. And it'll freak them out. But explain, look, all we have is a plan. We haven't shipped anything yet. The second we ship something and get feedback, we might earn the right to become yellow. Mm -hmm. We might. And just that slight mindset shift, you're going to start iterating yourself into Scrum anyways. Yeah. And you're just you're getting people ready for empiricism. You're laying the the foundation and groundwork for empiricism that is needed in order to successfully implement scrum. Yep. It's
2: interesting. How how can we in good conscience start a brand new product and say it's green
0: because we have a plan? How, how, I mean, it, <laughs> we have a plan.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like uh it's like a it it, it 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 is complete and utter lack of transparency if we say We're starting. We don't know what we don't know, but we're going to say it's green. Yeah.
0: So I did have one nit to pick, and I'm curious how you guys will react to this. As I was reading through, and most of the stuff I'm shaking my head, I'm going, yeah, yeah, that's great. I love that. Uh, There's one area where you're talking about uh, a team that had a 45-minute Scrum. um, And you make the statement that why is the product owner participating in the daily scrum? And I was curious because my experience and what I've done before is I, as a product owner, am in the Daily Scrum. I may not have tasks to move. I may not have things, but I want to listen. I want to understand if there's anything that I can do to help. If somebody has a question that I can do, I want to be there for that. Um, But I've never been told that I couldn't attend the Daily Scrum.
2: Just to circle and talk about the Daily Scrum, right? The Daily Scrum is a development teams meeting. It really is a planning meeting so that they come out of the daily scrum with a plan for the next 24 hours on how they intend on accomplishing a sprint goal. For my experiences, uh, it's a, it is okay for the product owner to attend as a fly on the wall. But how often can a product owner refrain from saying something in that event, hmm. right? So it's oftentimes our advice to say that that, that communication happens elsewhere uh, the development team and the product owner should have the appropriate communication lines based off of the circumstance that they're in. They should feel free to have conversations whenever and however they want. But most of the time, if the product owner is in the daily scrum, they end up commandeering the meeting. And the meeting is not for them. The meeting is for the development yeah, team.
1: Yeah, this is, let the dev team have their 15 minutes to figure out how they're going to collaborate and work together. Here, and And check this out. At, at the end of that 15-minute time box, if, this, if the product owner wants to jump right in once that event is closed out, they can, they can meet there for as long as they want and as long as they need. So we're not saying don't talk to the product owner. What we're saying is preserve this 15-minute time box to figure out how you're going to best work together and collaborate to make progress towards your sprint goal, uh, to make some updates to the sprint backlog if needed, and to walk out of it knowing how you're going to make progress on the increment for the day. And if you do that for 15 minutes, on that 16th minute, go grab the product owner and ask him all the questions that you felt you needed uh, answered. Go grab your Scrum Master and say, hey, these are the impediments that came up. And on the 18th minute, get back to work. Right? I mean, it's, it's one of those where let's just be practical. For 15 minutes, focus on focus, a Scrum value, right? Focus on the purpose of this event. And then immediately following, go do the, the right and good things that you feel you need to do uh, with your product owner, with your Scrum Master and get back to delivering great products for your customers. Does that make sense? Does that help?
0: I understand what you're saying. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And I think it's it's just so hard. Having been, you know, a product owner before, it's so hard when you're standing there and you're observing the development team having their meeting. And sometimes you're just like, oh what I just want to mm-hmm. you want to you just want to jump in sometimes. And uh, it, it really just defeats the the purpose of it it's for them to it's a development team meeting it's it, at least for me it was really hard for me sure. to keep my mouth shut
0: okay <laughs> I attend the school. okay um, so uh, Ryan you've played three questions before Todd I want to play three questions with you are you ready for your three questions probably not but it's okay
2: I, I suppose as, as ready as I'll ever be okay uh,
0: what what are three of your favorite apps or products uh, and tell me why you like them
2: apps or I'm going to go strictly apps and I'm going to open my phone right now and I'm going to look at it. Um, so Spotify, of course, is absolutely awesome. Um, so I, I've, I've been doing a lot of running recently. So I've been using a uh, Garmin watch and Garmin connect and I really love looking at data about myself. Ah, yes. Um, and then a super practical app that is for travelers expensify. Expensify makes, makes, uh, it, uh, submitting your expense reports really simple.
0: Interesting, very cool. Okay, uh, and you guys have lots of stories in the book about uh, you know coaching opportunities or product owners have done certain things. What's kind of your? I always ask the second most amazing thing you've seen a product owner do. What's kind of the one that stood out that's your favorite story from the book about a product owner?
2: Probably a, a negative one. Okay. <laughs> so uh, in the beginning of the product owner chapter, we mentioned a scenario where their uh, Cyber Monday and an uh, online retailer's website went down. Yep. Right? Causing causing a lot of panic and a lot of people to get fired. So I, I will say that we did protect the industry in the name of the company for which that mm-hmm. experience happened. Um, but it was... Uh, I, I think that that story in and of itself goes to show that when a product owner is not empowered or a product owner is more than one person, um, the dangers that it can that it can cause, right? It can, it can cost your company millions yeah. of dollars.
0: Okay. Uh, and uh, the last question is, what product ideas are you most excited about in the future? Product
2: ideas. I want to say self-driving cars, but they kind of scare me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about same-day Amazon Prime delivery?
0: Well, there you go. Especially for toilet paper nowadays. <laughs> right, yeah. Jesus.
2: For me, mostly electronics, right? Like, I, I would probably, you know, just buy stuff waiting for my, like, PlayStation 4 to show up yeah. within an hour. Yeah
0: like <laughs> Very good. All right. Thank you, Todd. And Ryan, we've already asked you your three questions, so you can go back and listen to Ryan's on the No Estimates episode that he came on and did. Uh, very good. And very good. So uh, Ryan is at Ryan Ripley on Twitter. Todd is at, uh, at Todd underscore Miller 11. Um, RyanRipley.com. Uh, Todd is Agile Todd on LinkedIn. Um, and you guys have a webinar coming up on March 26th uh, in a couple of weeks to go through more questions about the book, uh, fixing your scrum. Anything else that uh, folks should know about?
1: Uh, Buy the book. Buy the so book. So, fixing your scrum, practical solutions to common scrum problems available on Amazon and pragprog.com. Uh, we really think this can look, I, we don't get rich writing books, right? And so, this is not a money thing. It is a, you know, we spent two years trying to cram a book full of ideas that can help you actually use scrum to your advantage. Um, we believe that anyone using Scrum today can buy this book and at least get one good thing out of it. Um, we believe that because we've gotten over 50. I think we're up to about 100 messages now from people saying that that's true for them. Uh, we think it'll be true for you. If the book helps you, You know, hit us up on Twitter, let us know. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the book. Um, we, we love that feedback. We crave that feedback. You know, Just shipping the book We've closed the feedback loop. Now it's time to assess what we've done and, and all of you can help us do that. So you know, please do check it out um, and we hope it helps.
2: Yeah, well, thank you. If you buy the book, a well, big thanks. And as, as Ryan said, we're in the validation phase, right? The, the shipping a book is a bit of a waterfall process, although we didn't approach it that way as we were writing it. But uh, thank you and let us know uh, so we can um, uh, understand if the impact that we were hoping to create is created.
0: Cool. Very good. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. If you have any feedback or questions about product ownership, you can contact the show on Twitter at DeliverCast or email us at DeliverCast at gmail.com. Please share the show around with friends or coworkers. Subscribe and help us reach more folks. Couple questions I saw this week. One from Sixen who says, "Hello, I really need help to understand better on the below questions. One, once a sprint starts, should a product owner have any tasks assigned on the board? If yes, what should it be?" Okay, I'm gonna stop and answer this first question first. Uh, sprint starts, PO have any tasks assigned on the board? Probably not. Uh, rare cases, maybe uh, if the team was dependent on them and the product owner was doing something else other than just product ownership. Uh, I can see that happening. But generally speaking, no. Product owners, even if they have tasks, uh, I have a personal Kanban board that I use for the tasks that I need to do, things that I need to do, but I don't put that on the team's board. Maybe it makes sense to put it on there to show, be more transparent like we're talking about, uh, but I've never seen that really. um, And I don't know if it's necessary. So my answer would be probably not. A second question is, should a product owner be present in Daily Scrum to update the task status. Again, what we're alluding to back with Ryan, uh, they view that uh, as the product owner is not necessary for the stand-ups. I want to be there, uh, but I'm definitely not updating any tasks as the product owner. Uh, The tasks are there for the team. They're there for them to decide how to meet the day's goals or to help accomplish the sprint goals. I'm there to help any way I can, but usually that does not mean uh, updating or moving tasks. In fact, Several times, I've refused to update or move tasks because that's not what my responsibility is there for. I'm there to help. And then Henry asks, as a product owner or Scrum team, what metrics do you use to measure the quality of a feature definition? Uh, Okay, I'm going to answer this in a way that I think you mean it, which is how do you know if you have good stories? Uh, Because feature definition to me is a story. Uh, How do you measure the quality of a story? Uh, You really don't know until two things happen. One, the team builds it. uh, And two, the customer gets it uh, and gives you feedback on it. Uh, If you did something where you, uh, the team built something, and they didn't understand it well enough, they didn't ask you questions well enough, um, you didn't have a good interaction for that, that's where I would say you had a poor quality story. Um, If the story... If the team and the product owner understood it together, they built it with the same understanding, everything was good, and then the story got to the customer and the customer didn't understand it or didn't have a success with the need, then I would say that's probably not a good story as well. So it really depends on how well are you communicating um, and how well are you getting feedback and how quick are you getting feedback from that. Um, I would not expect every story, and this is an expectation setting thing, uh, I would not expect every story that gets in your backlog or gets created or gets put in front of the team to be the perfect story. There'll be good stories, there'll be bad stories. Some of those stories will be complete as far as the team understanding of them goes. Some of those stories will be complete from the uh, side that the, you got the customer need or customer problem um, and you were able to explain that. And sometimes those things work and sometimes they don't. Sometimes you still have to iterate on those stories. That's to be expected Um, that's not a bad thing. If somebody's trying to set up a measure or a metric that says 100% of our stories are high quality because they meet these things, that's probably a hammer that somebody's looking to swing, uh, and I would not recommend that. Uh, I would say, you know, if you know between 60 and 70% of your stories are working out between the team and the customers, then you're probably doing pretty good. But that's my opinion. Lots of folks will have other ones. So, go buy Ryan and Todd's book. It is an outstanding book. I really enjoyed it. Uh, It will be on my Kindle for now and evermore with lots and lots of highlights. um, And I think you will really get something out of it as well. So we'll have a link to the book in the show notes. Please go there, grab the book, support the show. uh, And if you've already got a copy, get a copy for a friend. And don't forget that if you would like any one-to-one coaching, product consulting, or organizational agility help, I do offer that over at SeekTaiJu.com. All opinions expressed here are mine, and you can find more of them, at cory Bryant on Twitter. That is episode 102, delivered. Go out, be safe, and own the outcome. Podcast Network. For more shows and information, visit agilepodcastnetwork.com.